Welcome to ScotsCast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scots Church, Melbourne. Well, you might have noticed the common thread in our music this morning. Our opening hymn spoke of joy without ending. Our second hymn said, We've heard a joyful sound. The anthem urged us to sing joyfully from the same psalm that I used in our call to worship. And the choral psalm encouraged us to be joyful in the Lord. And if there's any remaining doubt, well, our closing hymn will complete the set with joy to the world. Joy and its related words like joyful and rejoice appear in our Bibles a staggering 430 times. Surprisingly, perhaps, the word happy or happiness only appears 10 times. Joy, happiness. We, we tend to use these words interchangeably, along with others like euphoria and gladness, delight, merriment. But they're actually not quite the same. In particular, the biblical use of joy, the way the Psalms use it, the way the apostles use it, the way Jesus uses it, carries a far deeper and a much more profound meaning. Let me illustrate that from the New Testament letter of James. In that, he opens his letter by saying, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How can that be true? Is James a masochist who gets pleasure from pain? Is he saying that we should be euphoric, merry or delighted as we experience the worst things in our lives? Wouldn't that be insanity? Well, it would be if that's what James and the other biblical writers meant by joy, but it's not what they mean. See, biblical joy, the meaning of the term, is closer to words like comfort, assurance, peace, rest. What is your ultimate comfort in life and in death? That's the opening question of a classic statement of faith that emerged from the Reformation a statement called the Heidelberg Confession, put out way back in 1663. Now, that's a leading question. Have you asked it of yourself lately? What is your ultimate comfort in life and death? And do you have such a thing? Is it your material possessions? Is it your investment portfolio? your family, your friends, your good reputation, your good health. See, all of these things can be taken from you, as that Old Testament character Job discovered. The Heidelberg Catechism says, by way of answer, that it's, it's actually all about who you belong to, who has your allegiance So listen to its answer in full, and I'll take this slowly. 
See, it says, my comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the domination of Satan and that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit for his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Now, that's a very meaty answer. There's a lot in that, and it's worth considering. The Apostle Paul himself could hardly have said it better. But what Paul did say in his letter to the church in Philippi was also a very big statement. He said, I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content in good times and bad, in times of rude health and dire sickness, in times of prosperity and abject poverty, in times of peace and in times of war. In fact, through all of the 28 seasons listed in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, Paul has discovered contentment. And that's the bottom line meaning of the biblical idea of joy. It's not the flash in the pan of sudden euphoria. It's not the laugh a minute of merriment. It's not the smile, smile, smile of putting on a happy face. It's an abiding, foundational spring of living water satisfying our thirst for inner peace and comfort, the equilibrium of our souls. It can and it does coexist at times with euphoria and delight and merriment and happiness and the approval of others. But it can also and does coexist with persecution and rejection and grief and sorrow and loss and pain. And it's these negative things that James is alluding to when he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. See, Paul and James are on the same page here. So much so that Paul can say quite candidly in verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, at first blush, that might strike you as if Paul's bragging about himself, as if he's some sort of genius who's worked it out. But he's not bragging at all. Quite the opposite. The secret is no secret at all. It's a gift a freely offered gift, a freely given gift. And it's the gift that keeps on giving. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
And Paul describes this gift as the peace of God. Look at verse 7. He says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, this gift that he's talking about does double duty. It guards our emotions, our hearts, and our thinking, our minds. And it's worth noting that the peace of God that Paul speaks of does not guard other things like our possessions or our general health. It's about hearts and minds. And it is most definitely not the false gospel of health, wealth and prosperity. How then do we discover what Paul discovered, the gift that keeps on giving? Well, let's listen to Paul. In verse 4 to 6, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Well, that old spiritual, take it to the Lord in prayer. In doing so, we experience the peace of God. Anxiety is neutralised by trust in the one who is sovereign over all. He is, in the words of the Heidelberg Confession, the one who protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Confession, of course, is quoting Jesus himself. Consider these words from Psalm 84. They speak of the very same gift that keeps on giving. The psalmist says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, O Lord, in whose hearts are the highways of Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacha, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. See, our, our own strength is fragile and finite. You know the hymn, Frail as summer's flower we flourish, blows the wind, and it is gone. But the strength of the Lord within us does not fail, as he himself does not fail. Our realisation and acceptance of our Creator's sovereignty over all things and all people radically changes our frame of reference and the psalmist knows it when he says a day in your courts lord is better than a thousand elsewhere in other words even one day of knowing god for who he is and what he's done for us is better than an eternity of alienation from god this gift that keeps on giving is, is celebrated in so much of our sacred music. Our second hymn this morning is one example. Listen again to its third verse. Sing above the battle strife, Jesus saves. By his death and endless life, Jesus saves. Sing it softly through the gloom. 
when the heart for merry craves, for mercy craves, sing in triumph o'er the tomb, Jesus saves. At this point, maybe you're thinking, well, that's all very well. But the fact is, despite all those brave words, despite intellectually acknowledging the truth of the gospel, despite consciously trying to follow Jesus, I still suffer from anxiety and even despair. Maybe you've experienced what's sometimes called dark nights of the soul. Maybe those dark nights seem to drag on for ages. Maybe you find yourself in a loop of doubt or despair that just goes around and around in your head. And God is not present, or at least he seems to be not present. And whatever Christ might have done for others, well, it seems like he did not include you. I know something of those thoughts, those times, firsthand. You might too. If that's your experience, and if it is persistent, and the pastoral support of others seems to be not helping, then please do not hesitate to seek proper professional help. Its availability is part of God's providence. So don't turn that down or turn your back on what God provides. But with or without expert help, Paul has some general advice for when we face hard times. And I'm quite sure it's advice learned from his own trials and dark nights. So let's pay a bit of attention to his prescription in verses 8 and 9. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The love of Christ, the gift that keeps on giving, once given, is never snatched back. But we can so often clog up that spring of living water within us. We can clog it up with the false idols of our hearts. So much so that it might even seem to have dried up. Paul's method of unclogging the spring is to turn our minds to what's true, to what's honourable, just and pure, so that the peace of God flows freely and strongly within us, overflowing into the world around us, so that, as the psalmist put put it, we make it a place of springs, that living water. And so let's take Paul's prescription to heart. You've been listening to Scott's Cast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scott's Church, Melbourne.